Um, and I think that was, I think that was around, you know, long working hours, bad habits, um, you know, a bit too much um, uh, drinking. And, you know, particularly when you're around work and in hospitality, it's really hard. You know, you're, you're watching people drink and enjoy themselves six days a week. You know, you feel that you deserve a bit of that, you know, afterwards and, and have, have a few drinks yourself. So I was certainly alcohol dependent and I certainly used it to um, kind of relieve some of or, or what I thought was relieving the pressure on me. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal, a hospitality-focused podcast dedicated to smashing the stigma of mental health and inspiring people to create change within their lives and organisations for a happier and healthier hospitality profession. 2021 was the year that we really established the Burn Chef projects. Uh, we managed to launch 48 podcast episodes on the Burn Chef Journal with over 50,000 downloads. But we also managed to facilitate 1,500 plus conversations with people who needed support with their mental health and reached over 122 countries worldwide with merchandise training and these podcasts. So just wanted to start the year with a very quick thank you for supporting us over the last 12 months and a quick welcome to anyone who may be listening to this for the first time. It's going to be a fantastic year. We're looking at really stepping up our game in terms of the support that we're able to provide, the training options and setting up some new innovative projects as well to help with that. So do stick with us. Uh, If you have any guests or anyone that you want to see on this year's podcast please do let me know via email marketing at theburntchefproject.com do get in touch let us know we're going to be looking at doing potentially one to two episodes per month just so that we're able to focus on our, our other projects at the same time so send them over we'll get them recorded and we'll deliver them to you right here on the burnt chef journal Right then, let's crack on with this week's episode. Simon Maguire joins us from Southampton. He's the managing director of a hotel group and he talks to us about his experiences within hospitality, how he started off as housekeeping and worked his way up the chain or through the chain, if you'd like to call it that, to managing director of a large hotel group. So He talks about his experiences with mental illness and uh, what he does to keep mentally fit and healthy. So I hope you enjoy this first episode for the year and let's crack on. I'm very pleased that Dan introduced us and I wanted to, I'm always very keen to learn more about other people's experiences within hospitality, Um, your background, where you come from, what brought you into hospitality and your sort of career to date and then you know, also about your relationship with the subject of mental health and mental illness and, and some of the other bits that you sort of sent across to me, really. So, yeah, I, I don't know where you want to begin. Like, Simon, how, I mean, how did you get into hospitality in the first place? Like, where did that come from? Yeah, so I don't think I, I, I don't think I had a desire as a kid to get into hospitality. Um, I think I, I had, you know, lots of weird and wacky ideas, but I don't think hospitality really ever came into it. And um, I got, a, I was I was about 16 at the time and I got a weekend job um, and a summer holiday job working 
at a hotel that's now, I think, part of Alexander Hotels called Barnet Hill. But back then it was a conference centre. And I was doing working in housekeeping, um, cleaning rooms on a Saturday and Sunday. And I just loved it. Like first day, you know, just really, really enjoyed it. And I was like, you know what, this is actually pretty good fun. And I did that for a, for the first summer. Um, and I went back at Christmas, which I guess was a good a good sign. And you know, did did weekends. I lived about fifteen minutes up the road, so it worked it worked really well. And then they promoted me to the grand heights of um, uh, conference or conference tidier upper, let's call it. And whenever their conferences were finished, I would go around cleaning up the uh, conferences. And I enjoyed that. And, I, you know, I started to get a bit of interaction with guests. And, you know, I thought, actually, this is this is really rewarding. And, you know, there's a team element to this. And, you know, you're working as a team and you've all got to play your part. And at the end of it, the customer will be will be satisfied and, and happy. And there's some instant gratification and reward from that. And um, so I then went to university and studied absolutely nothing to do with um, hospitality. Um, studied uh, sociology um, and didn't didn't make a great crack of that, but um, got got through. And it was coming to this sort of end of third year. I'd carried on doing uh, the the role, and and you know people were starting to ask me the question, well, what what are you going to do? And I thought, you know what, I think I really like this hospitality malarkey. Why don't I try and apply for a few? hospitality roles but try and take myself a, a little bit more seriously and, and see what I can get so I managed to get a graduate training scheme with um, a hotel group called Firmdale and so they've got nine hotels in London a couple in New York but at the time they were quite small they had four hotels the Charlotte Street the Covent Garden uh, the Pelham and one other which I can't remember off the top of my head um, now but um and they were an upcoming boutique hotel chain. And I think this was their sort of first year of graduates. And um, there was about 20 of us on this selection day. And I thought, you know, all of these other great candidates there. And I thought, I haven't, you know, I haven't really prepared for this. And I haven't really got a Scooby-Doo. So um, it was a nice experience. But then the next day I got a call saying that I was one of the four and um, yeah, so I went to work for this for this um, uh, upmarket boutique hotel chain as a as a graduate trainee, and I started in in food and beverage, and I just loved it. Just immediately, you know, absolutely loved it. And and the time flew. You know, it wasn't about doing an eight hour shift, and the, the the time just literally flew. And every day I was there, you know, working till late in the evening or starting early in the morning and and I just you know six days seven days I just uh, whatever it was I, I loved it what what was it that you think that's uh that really sort of tickled you at that moment in time that put you in that that almost that flow state yeah I think it was it was definitely twofold it was one was working with a team of people um and I think that just to achieve something I think working with with a team and I've got a really short attention span anyone who does a meeting with me will tell you that you know um come an hour and a half don't don't bother talking to him about something because it'll be gone um and actually hospitality is sort of broken down into lots of little 
chunks and lots of little activities and and so it just worked it worked well for me in that sense always kept my mind going and engaged and kept me busy and the time flew by and the second thing was the customer um and you know i just and and i get caught up into it in these days when i'm in in the hotels just going and chatting to customers and finding out a bit about them i i guess it's that um it's almost being a bit nosy maybe just wanting to know and i was particularly working for firmdale you got to meet some really interesting characters you know i i got to meet ben stiller and um i can't remember her name now um she was married to kurt cobain um the yeah, uh, Jen, Jen, was it not Jennifer love here for god's sake courtney love courtney love thank you yeah met her and you know and just had uh, and the foo fighters and and Sachin Tendulkar the Indian cricketer and all these people and this was like happening on a daily basis so I was just like I was just sort of thriving on it really um so I worked for Firmdale for quite a few years progressed through the graduate program uh, became a night manager reception manager front of house manager um and went on to be a deputy general manager for them so I must have worked for them for about 6 years and they were expanding at the time Uh, I worked on the opening of the Soho Hotel which was just a brilliant experience. Um and they were you know they looked after we we worked hard but they really looked after us you know with training with um you know you you felt you always felt the next step was just around the corner and that was that was exciting and they were innovative and uh, they were led by a lady called Carrie Wicks at the time and and she was brilliant and very inspirational. and the in hr they had a guy called mike williams who was who was brilliant as well so it was it was a really exciting part of the journey with with them i kind of got it at the, at the sweet spot and um but being quite an ambitious guy i i um was offered a, a role as general manager of a hotel in jersey um called the atlantic hotel and it was a bit of a weird situation i went over for the interview in in the hotel was shut it was in the middle of january the hotel closes every year and i went over for this interview and the whole of jersey was like dead was just empty um and so i thought you know this this could be a bit of an easy life actually you know like you know all these beautiful beaches and and all of that little did i know that in the summer it just goes absolutely bonkers um but that was good and and I worked there for for 2 years um and we I just got married um I was really into my food like really into the sort of food and wine scene and there was a Michelin star chef at the hotel a guy called Mark Jordan he now runs a, a another restaurant in Jersey which is excellent and um got on really well with him and you know I learned a lot I learned so much about food and you know the produce in jersey is second to none and we had a great sommelier there um sergio and he taught me all about wine and i got pretty excited about that and 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 really learned but we had our uh son out in jersey and it was just a bit isolated from the from the family so um having kind of started to enjoy my wine and and food i looked for a brand that i thought might fit back in the uk and um back in England should I say and uh up came Hotel Divan and my previous boss from uh, or 
previous colleague from Firmdale, Mike Williams in HR, had joined the HR team for Hotel Devan and he gave me a call and said, look, would you be interested? And I went over, had a quick chat and I was, you know, uh, into in the job. And it, again, it was great, good food, good wine uh, and that team atmosphere again and a, a brand that was at that time doing doing really, really well. Um, and I was lucky enough, I, I started in Tunbridge Wells, went on to uh, Brighton, which was their flagship, and then got a regional role with them. And did that, worked with them for about five years. Um, and then moved on to Harbour Hotels um, as Group Operations Director. Um, and that was interesting because they were expanding like crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I started, we had five hotels and I left three and a half years later and we had 15. Um, so that was um, that was pretty bonkers, but but lots of learning. And um, then I went on to, to this role, which is MD of, of LFH. And, you know, we're on a really exciting journey as well. We're working with, with some new owners over the last three years and we're, you know, um, building bedrooms and refurbishing and, all that glory that that comes with that. And um, so I just, you know, when I think about my career in hospitality, I just think about, you know, when people ask me, is it a good job to get in? And so many people, by the way, told me, don't do it. Even my own dad told me that, you know, don't do it. Um, But it's so varied and um, it's just exciting every day, you know? Uh, Yeah, that was a bit about me. I love that. No, I think it's... um... It's funny that you should mention that people tell you not to get involved in hospitality. And I mean, what are some of the things that you're like, even your, your own father was telling you about the reasons why this wasn't a career choice? Yeah, long hours, low pay. And I think the other thing, um, weekends. Uh, so those those were kind of the, 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 the state clear points. But weirdly, I between Firmdale and, and um, was it between can't remember now but I did take a little stint um out it wasn't really quite outside of hospitality but it was working for a hospitality firm compass for and it was kind of a nine to five Monday to Friday job and literally the days just went so slow and I hated it I lasted like six weeks and I was like this is just so boring and mundane um how can anyone do this um sorry um (laughs) yeah so I guess you know those maybe the people warning me off were just just playing to a stereotype of what people say and you know if you do love hospitality you love hospitality don't you and it's it's an addictive um it's an addictive industry it is addictive yeah this is there's a certain I think you have to be a certain type of person to love this industry and one that thrives off of the, I don't know, the adrenaline and the social aspect of it and the lifestyle and everything that goes with it. You know, it's incredibly fast paced, incredibly alluring. Uh, you get to meet a, an amazing bunch of diverse and creative individuals in this industry, you know, with such a range of personalities and interests. It's, it really is one of the best professions I find that I've ever been in. I mean, yeah. I've, I've worked in multiple sectors, different in, industries uh, during my sort of working career. So, yeah, but we're often we're often dissuaded by our teachers or our college lecturers or our parents from, from joining this industry 
be it a they've had limited to no experience in this area or yeah. you know they've had one bad experience but i think ultimately if you're happy and you enjoy the work then what should it matter if you you know if you're doing weekends or yeah you know if you're working out of out of normal office hours like as you yeah. said for you it works beautifully yeah and it can sometimes it can be it can work in your favor you know your days off you're not involved in queues going to places and you're not having to you know plan your life too much in advance because you can just turn up to any old restaurant at any old time and you don't have to make a booking on a monday lunchtime um so it can have its it can have its pluses that's for sure yeah amazing and and i love thank you for sharing your journey as well because it does you know we do get a lot of college students listen to this and often enough they think well i either have to become a chef and go to a high-end restaurant in london or you know, I have to become a sommelier and, and, and stay here. But actually, you've shown that there's a wide range of roles out there. And it, just because you, you know, you might choose one role doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to transition yeah. and move through through hospitality. Because there is such a diverse amount of roles available as well, aren't they? Yeah. And I've, I've been quite, I mean, I've been quite lucky in the sense that, um, you know, even in my current team, there's a couple of people that, just recently have really transitioned from one role to the other. Uh, one was a, a lady who works for us and, and she was fully events based. She's always been sort of booking events and all of that. And she's transitioned into general management and um, become a general manager. And she's just excelled at it. And it was just, you know, it's those characteristics that um, um, really kind of shone through. And then another uh young lady who I worked with back years ago now as a receptionist at Hotel Divan. And um, she's done various front of house manager roles, deputy roles. And she's now transitioned to our group training manager and with no previous training experience. And I think when we first discussed the role, she thought I was bonkers. But the point was, she was so good at training people in her teams that she learned those skills over time and now she's doing it and, you know, training 450 people on a yearly basis. And so there's definitely opportunity if you keep an open mind and keep, um, keep an open mind and, and be willing to try new things. And, and um, there's, there's definitely opportunity to move across. I've seen many chefs, you know, move into front of house or operational roles, um, vice versa you know, uh, guys on the floor moving into moving into the kitchen. So, um, you know, you don't necessarily, when you get into it, have to know what you want to do. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and I think COVID's also helped with that a little bit as well, because you've seen people who are job sharing, you know, we've seen front of house staff do plating up desserts in, in the kitchen and, and doing yeah. garnish and things like that. And uh, actually finding that they've got a, a either a natural flair for it or they've got a bit of passion for it and they want to take it on as more as a sort of part-time or, or even transfer their skills into that role. So, you know, whilst COVID has had a lot of negatives, there are also a lot of positives with regards to that. And, and like, like you say, with regards to your member, your training manager now, like, you know, I spoke to one business owner recently who had started to identify skills that weren't necessarily hospitality specific with their team and utilizing them and, bringing them on board. So one chap had a, a marketing and a digital marketing d- degree, but he'd been working for this company for three years as front of house yeah. and, and general manager. And they got talking. He was like, oh yeah, I've, you know, during my degree in this. And they were like, 
what? We spend like six hundred pound a month on a company who does this for us. And they don't get us. You get us. You're you're an embodiment of us, and also you've got some absolutely amazing skill sets that we can use. And all of a sudden, then you've got an individual who has already enjoyed working for you, but is probably going to retain them, and they're going to be a lot happier and more fulfilled during yeah, their career. And engaged, and already know the brand, and already have all the connections, and so they can kind of, you know, when you're bringing in someone new, there's you know a month or six weeks or whatever of finding their feet. When you do something like that, they can hit the ground running. Hit the ground running. Um, yeah, so um, definitely a good a good industry. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, obviously, we're here to talk about the subject of health and well being, and and you know, not not just the positives of the industry, but things that are you know perhaps quite challenging to discuss. And you know, one of the things I want to bring up with you is the uh, essentially the stigma is attached with the subject of mental health and well being, and and why we see such an increased ratio of people who are experiencing chronic stress and, and mental illness in this industry when compared to others. I just want to sort of gather first and foremost, your thoughts on that. If, if... Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've, I've, how long have I been doing this then? So 26 years, 25 years. Um, and I haven't seen it all cause you've, you've never seen it all, but I've, I think I've, I think I've seen a fair amount and, um, you know, particularly over the last, you know, two years, as you, as you say, these, these things have been brought into really sharp focus. And I think about the amount of people that have left the industry because of, um, you know, reasons of burnout or stress or, um, you know, not, not being able to cope and fully justifiably on, on, you know, many of those, um, on many of those occasions. And I think it's only come into sharp focus now because, there isn't this kind of conveyor belt of, of people available to us that perhaps there, there was in the past. And, you know, um, it's great to see um, wages increasing. Um, it's great. To, it's great to see all of that. But, um, you know, it would have been great if this was a, a talking point, I suppose, or, or a sharper talking point pre-COVID. And I think, you know, my experience probably mirrors a lot of um, a lot of people. And, you know, I've had moments where I've thought, you know, maybe this is getting getting too much. I've always loved it. Don't don't get me wrong. But, you know, when I, I, I talked about that expansion period at Harbour Hotels, going from four hotels to uh, 15 quite rapidly. And, you know, that hugely took its toll on, on my body and my mind. Um, and, you know, it's no it's no secret. I think it's sort of on my LinkedIn and, and, and that sort of stuff. But, you know, I developed, I put on quite a lot of weight. Um, and I think that was, I think that was around, you know, long working hours, bad habits, um, you know, a bit too much um, uh, drinking. And, you know, particularly when you're around work and in hospitality, it's really hard. You know, you're, you're watching people drink and enjoy themselves six days a week. You know, you feel that you deserve a bit of that you know, afterwards and, and have, have a few drinks yourself. So I was certainly alcohol dependent and I certainly used it to um, kind of relieve some of or, or what I thought was relieving the pressure on me. And, you know, with the weight, I got a bad back, as you do, and you're running around a hotel as general manager. We were opening one in Southampton and uh, it was really long days, I remember, and I, my back was killing me and I thought, right, 
bit of painkillers here will do the job. And I started taking a painkiller called Sulpidine, um, which has got codeine in it. And, you know, very quickly I was like, okay, this is, this is working on a couple of fronts here because one, it's relieving stress. Um, and two, it's relieving my back pain. And, you know, and before, before I knew it, I was, you know, taking it way too much seven days a week, uh, over the prescribed dose as it was and moving up the levels of, uh, of strength. I remember I, I, uh, there was only one boots near the hotel. And so this lady, I saw her on a few too many occasions. So I ended up sending a colleague to get some for me. And he said, you, you know, you've probably got a problem. Um, his name's Gary. And thanks, Gary, for those wise words. And he, and he was right, you know, and, um, and it's very easy. It's just very easy. It's just like little building block after building block. It just gets a little bit worse, gets a little bit worse. And then all of a sudden, you know, six months later, you're staring down the hole of a, of a big problem, one that you don't really want to talk to anyone about and one that you um, are embarrassed about and, and ashamed of. And that's that's really difficult. And everyone, you know, at the time I was, um, you know, running this five-star hotel in Southampton, from the outside, it probably looked absolutely rosy. I, I just won the company award the chairman's award for you know best employee i'd won the um we'd just been awarded five star status the quickest hotel in the uk ever to get five um five stars so you know from the outside it probably looked wow this you know this guy's really um going somewhere but inside you know the picture wasn't the picture wasn't as rosy and um uh, I just think it's it's always important, and I I think about it. You know, when I'm going around the hotels and talking to people, is when you ask someone how they are, listen to how they say it. You know, mm. they're always going to tell you they're okay. They're always going to tell you they're okay, but listen to how they say it. And so often, what you can kind of pick up on a a bit of an emotion in the way they say things, and you know, when you then dig a tiny bit deeper, sensitively, you know, all of a sudden it can, it can all, it can all spill out. And, you know, um, I've, I've sat there on, on many occasions as, as people have kind of opened up and, 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 you know, broken down and there isn't always something you can do. There isn't always something you can do about it, but being there for them and letting them speak and letting them talk um is a massive relief and that's probably how i got out of my situation um was that i started to to talk about it you know um mm. i talked to my wife about it i talked to my dad about it um you know all a bit um difficult at first i remember because my wife butts in on everything i say um hopefully she won't listen to this but she <laughs> butt into you know, doesn't always let me finish my sentences. So I had to write, I had to write her an email to, to kind of get it off my chest because I knew if I tried to tell her that I was badly addicted to painkillers, that I'd probably start crying before I got to the sentence. I then might be slightly distracted. So I put it all down in an email and I've still, I've still got the email. Um, and I kind of look back on it and say, you know, actually that was a that was a pretty good thing to do. That was a pretty sensible um, move, but I was ready to leave 
you know, in that email, I was ready to leave hospitality. I, I'd, I'd, I, in my mind, it had run its course. Um, mm. So, you know, you just never know what, what people are going through. No, and, and, and thank you for sharing that because, yeah, whilst, whilst we perhaps when you get used to talking about it, it becomes slightly easier, but it's still, um, it's still challenging, you know, it's, it requires a certain level of vulnerability and uh, to be able to do so. And also empathy, if you're, if you're asking people to share, share with yourself as well, which are, again, vulnerable position. So thank you for that. Um, I guess from, from my perspective, having, you know, I, I resonate with that in, in a number of different ways. Obviously, I've spoken a lot about my own personal experiences with mental health and, and, and mental illness. And, you know, I've never really, I guess, talked about, um, you know, high levels of debt, et cetera, that I was in when I was in my younger years. And when you talk about, you know, how you gradually fall into these patterns and, and these these ways of operating, you never really think about, how that comes about. And I was just thinking back now to like my spending habits and how frivolous I used to be and how impatient and impulsive I used to be. And then, you know, you start borrowing money from the bank and it's you know, 500 pound an hour. And then you go out on, on a bender with your mates and that's another 500 pound because you pay for everyone. And all of a sudden it's like 5,000 pounds. You're like, well, I'm already in over my head. So I might as well make it 10,000 pounds. And then you start yeah. going on and going forward. And I guess it's, again, you don't really know how deep it is until you are in deep. And then you feel so, shamed and i don't know so embarrassed by it that you can't then ask for help so yeah. i mean how- you do, and and i think you know if you do ask for help particularly if you ask your employer for help and and i didn't i didn't go down that route because i felt that would make me a, a, a problem employee or that would be make, make me someone you know can we really trust him can we really um and the truth is, if someone's opening up and being honest about that, you can probably trust them more than anyone else. But um, we're so afraid, aren't we, to just be honest sometimes? Yes, the fear of, I don't know, is the fear of either A, what we've made it up to to be in our head, or, you know, I guess intrinsically we know that it's, I don't know, we've, we've got ourselves in that pickle. It's perhaps it's a pride thing, it's an ego thing, but um, yeah, it's one that we struggle with in the hospitality, I feel. But I, I mean, Gary, shout out to Gary for for being able to call a spade a spade and call it out. But I mean, yeah. before before that point, had you made any attempts to to sort of ask for help, even if it was when someone was asking you if you were okay and you responded in like a "Yeah, I'm all right" type thing? Had had you consciously made any effort before then? No, I don't. I don't think I had. I think you know, in hospitality, we become pretty good actors. Um, I think. You know, we're we're kind of on stage a lot of the time, and we're we're performing. Um, and yeah, I, I I guess wanting to continue my career aspirations, I thought that if I showed weakness, that it could be detri- detrimental to to that. And so I kept it I kept it pretty private. Um, and you know, really, I suppose reaching out to my wife and to my um and to and then to my dad uh was really my first um attempt to to share it and 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 talk about it and you know they were they were great about it and you know but i remember when i hit send on that email i felt this almost instant relief 
um, I felt this in, instant relief. And I, I remember texting my wife saying, read your email, <laughs> like, you know, um, because I felt like I just, it was off my chest. It mm. was like, you know, this, this secret is off my chest. And, and so that, that, that felt good. And I'd encourage anyone who's kind of bottling something up, you know, even if it's, if it's phoning someone, you know, if you don't have, if you don't feel you can talk to someone in your family because you don't feel that's the right thing. If you haven't got a friend outside of work that you, you want to share that with, you know, get, get up on, get on the phone to hospitality action or, or get on the phone, you know, um, to, to, to some support that is that maybe not someone, you know, and, and the first step is I think just to get it off your chest. And from that, you know, I was able to kind of rebuild and, and rethink. And, it, you know, I was, I was a big lad. I was, at the time, I would have been sort of 21 stone. Um, so, you know, there, there, was a, there was a lot of change that needed to happen. And I'd got myself into a, into a, a kind of bad place, bad space. And there was a lot of, a lot of change that needed to happen. But, you know, those first steps were just massively important. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. And, um, you know, we often talk about things like journaling as, a, as an option as well, although that might not necessarily be telling someone. Again, there's quite a cathartic nature of writing things down and even popping it away in a private drawer, um, you know. And, and you're right, people like Hospitality Action, the Drinks Trust, um, Licensed Trade Charity, all of these guys are able to offer financial support if people are struggling, um, you know, along with EAP schemes and You've know, got the Birch Chef support service as well, which is available day and night for text-based support as well. So there's there's people that can be turned to in this country, but if you're outside of this this country, you know we've got a lot of listeners from all over the world: America, Canada, South Africa, Australia. Um, there's there are support services in those areas as well, and sometimes all it takes is a quick text to those those support services and for someone to respond saying, "I hear you, I'm here," that can start you on 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 that journey. Really, yeah, yeah, and and then. You know, it can be just that spark or that moment and, and you know, you can start a, a new cycle, a new positive cycle or, or whatever it can it can be. And that's, you know, what happened to me and I'm, I'm really, really lucky. So I'm looking at you, Simon, because I've got the benefit of being able to see you on camera and you tell me that you're, you're, you're a gentleman who used to weigh 21 stone, but I can, I can quite clearly see that that's not the case anymore. So... You know, some drastic changes um, were put in place. What, what I mean, after you sort of spoke to people and started to find your voice with regards to this, and how, what were your first steps in terms of addressing it? Like, how did you deal with this? Yeah, so I sent that email. I spoke to my wife, and and um, you know, we um, kind of talked it through, really, and and then I, I spoke to my to my dad. Um, and we kind of we, we kind of put around the options, you know, do I need to go out and get some help or, you know, is it something that I feel I could I could try and tackle myself? Um, you know, with them kind of checking in on me and, and that sort of thing. And at first I think we felt that um, you know, the route that I was I was gonna go down was try and address this myself and, and, and see how that went. But that's not always the option and I, I you know um either option I, I respect and um so the, what started with me is I thought you know 
one thing that's always made me feel good from a, ever since I was a young kid, that's always made me feel alive and, and um, rejuvenated was exercise. You know, I played a lot of rugby when I was a kid. I played football, cricket, um, and always loved it. And so I thought to myself, right, if I'm going to, you know, lose one thing, which is, is um, going to be the, the booze and the painkillers, I need to try and replace that in my life, not just by sitting there and, and kind of white knuckling it out. I need to do something else. So um, that with the, with the kind of stress thing led me to boxing. And uh, there was a boxing gym, the tattiest, scruffiest boxing gym, I think, in the whole of Southampton. No offence to the guys that run it. They've moved location now and it's much better. But um, it was basically in a garage. Um, and I ended up just going six, six days a week, um, every morning, and just letting rip um, all of my kind of stress and, and tension. And it worked brilliantly. The first day I went in... I could like, I was useless, like couldn't last punching for 30 seconds. And they had a treadmill in there and they were like, right, you have to run on there. For, and I, I couldn't even run. I had to like walk uphill the first few weeks. It was too big to run. Um, and slowly but surely got into a rhythm, got into a routine with it. And um, it really just helped me. First of all, the sessions were so hard that it made me stop drinking like the night before because I just couldn't face the gym, face the boxing, having had a few drinks. Yeah. Um, because it already made you sick at times just, just doing the training. Um, but I was still drinking on a Saturday night uh, for quite, for quite some time and, um, and kind of weekends, but the painkiller thing kind of stopped pretty much immediately. Um, and again, just talking about that with someone, um, kind of got it off my chest and made me realise that it wasn't it wasn't a sensible move. But again, I know it's not that easy for, for some. Mm. And um, I was enjoying the boxing. I started to do some running. And um, then when lockdown hit now two years ago, um, so I'd lost about I'd lost about three stone through the through the boxing. And then um, when COVID hit, I thought, right, I'm going to have to I've got two choices here. Um, there's no more boxing because the gym shut down. Um, so I'm going to have to pivot here. And um, I decided to, to join a triathlon club because I had like an, I, I knew I could get an electric bike at home and I could run. Um, swimming was kind of a bit out for the count. But um, so I joined that and that just really helped me. And through the lockdowns and everything, um, I carried on doing that. And yeah, I got to the stage where I'd lost, I've now lost um, six stone. Um, and um, I've done, I've been alcohol free for a, a year this Friday, I think it is. Yeah. My 40th birthday was my uh, last session, if you like. Um, and um, I'll turn 41 on, on Friday. So um and just things are in things are in a much better place. And, you know, I feel, I suppose one thing I'm really proud of is, you know, the whole COVID situation for the business and for all the people that worked in the business um, has been a massive situation for all of us, um, life-changing situation for all of us. And 
what the exercise has allowed me to do is kind of stay very focused. Um, it, it kind of uh, gives me my way of letting off my steam. And then, you know, during the day, I can really focus on work and, and um, give that 100%. And I'm just generally in a, in a better place, sleeping more. A bit boring now, my wife tells me. I go to bed at like 9.30. Um, and, yeah, I don't think I'm the most exciting person to live with. Um, but, yeah, and hopefully in two months, two months today exactly, um, I'm going to complete my first Ironman. So in, in memory of my mum who died when I was young. So um, training's, training's pretty tough for that. Um, but, yeah, so that's, that's kind of – it's not quite three years yet, but I'm, I'm coming to sort of three years since I started that, that journey. That's amazing. And, and what a progressed, like what an amazing change as well in terms of just your outlook and your health, your positivity, your, you know, everything. It's, um, it's yeah, gratitude, gratitude is, is, is the biggest thing that I've, I've kind of learned. And I think before I was, I was very, very me focused. So, you know, even in work and, and things is, now, what does that action mean for me? What does that person coming into the business mean for me? You know, I'm jealous of that. I'm, you know, he's doing better than me. You know, she's doing this better than me. You know, it was all very, it was, it was about the Simon Maguire and everything was how it kind of impacted me. It was a very selfish way of, of, of being. And I think one thing I've, I've learned by, you know, whether it's through running, whether it's through swimming or cycling and all of those sorts of things um, and the enjoyment of, of all of that and, and you know, getting rid of, of the, the need for alcohol and all those things um, has given me a much bigger sense of gratitude. And I'm really, you know, on a Sunday night, I used to dread Sunday nights like something chronic um, or whatever, if, if it was... Uh, a Wednesday, if it was, you know, I was going back to work on the Thursday, basically that Sunday night feeling I used to dread. Mm. Um, and now like it's, I still get it a tiny bit, but nothing like I, nothing like I used to, like I really kind of get excited about going into work and, and it's not just about growing the company and the, and the, you know, the business elements of it. Of course that's exciting, but what I really love, seeing now is you know some of the people that we have in our business seeing how they're growing seeing you know what they're what they're doing and you know i hope i really hope once i get this iron man kind of boxed off and and out the way i really hope you know that i can do something you know what i think what you've done is is you know absolutely brilliant you've you've taken a problem that that you had and you've said i'm not just going to help myself i'm going to take this problem and I'm going to help other people. And I think, you know, the more people we've got like that in this hospitality industry, the more chance we've, we've got of um, kind of making it a great place to work. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, there's a lot of value in, in doing things that don't necessarily a produce financial reward or, or personal gratification because, I think as a, as a culture and society, we're always chasing that 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 easy high, that dopamine kick that gives you that 
oh yes, you know what, that was worth it and I feel good for a moment. But it's funny how quickly it dissipates and then it leaves you wanting more and chasing it harder. Yeah. Um, but what no one tells you is actually doing nice things for nice people makes you feel good long term. It yeah, has, a, has a longer lasting effect. Yeah, it's completely sustained. Yeah. So, um, and, and it's interesting to hear about your journey of, to do with uh, the Ironman. I, I, what, what's involved in an Ironman? Because I've, the thought of one terrifies me. And I'm, yeah. Like, so it's a, it's a 3.6 kilometer swim, followed by 180 kilometers on the bike, followed by a full marathon all in one day. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes <laughs> when, I, when I say it like that, uh, it does, does hurt. But um, break it down into chunks. Break it down into chunks. And, you know, I think um, you said this word right at the beginning of, of this conversation, which is resilience. And, you know, if, if there's one thing um, hospitality has taught me in the last couple of years, it's resilience. And I have seen just the most amazing examples of companies, you know, bouncing back onto their feet, finding different ways of doing things. You know, you look at the, the guys at, at, at Coat, you know, doing that delivery to home thing, just pivoting on that. You know, there's, there's just some brilliant examples in our industry of people pivoting and being resilient and not just kind of going, well, you know, this is, this is terrible. You know, it's all COVID's fault. So it's an easy excuse. I can just give up. You know, people have just been incredibly resilient. And that's all, that's all the Iron Man is. It's, it's, it's a kind of manifestation of that resilience of being able to get through that day, no matter what. Um, and I've done a couple of half ones. They took me about seven hours, uh, which is just that distance in, in half, obviously. And um, you know what? They're, they're tough, but you find out a lot about yourself and things go wrong and you feel like crap at times, but you find out a lot about yourself. Yeah. I couldn't, I can't. So I ride, I swim and I once used to run, but like 5k was about my limit. Um, and the thought of doing even half, half an Ironman sounds, it sounds impossible, but evidently it's not because there's whole events around it. Yeah. And I think Chris, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to tell you off here, but, um, you know, don't, don't put barriers on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's, I guess, I suppose if I was talking back to my 21 stone self and someone was saying, Hey, you're going to do an Ironman. I'd have probably laughed pretty hard. Um, <laughs> but I've kind of learned through the process that um, barriers are quite like barriers that you put on yourself are quite dangerous from a work perspective. And, you know, um, in, in, in so many ways, we, we like to kind of put barriers on ourselves as a safety net. And, um, you know, I'm thinking of getting this done and then doing something even harder. So, you know, let's see. Well, something interesting that I read uh, about the SAS, and they were saying that the reason why they push recruits during the SAS sign-up process so hard is that the brain has a very good way of limiting your potential. And so what it will do, when you're about... 40 to 50%, I believe, and this is going from memory, 40 to 50% uh, tired. The brain goes, 
God, if I keep this up, I'm not going to make it. So self-preservation kicks in and then you start getting those thoughts going, you can't do this. You're not able to do this. You're not able to go further or faster or whatever the case may be. And so your brain gives up long before your body does. And then, and so what they do during the SAS process is they, they push you past that point. They're the, they're the, they're the ones who go and shut up brain. We're in control here. And then they show you that actually you can start to break down those barriers and that you're capable of a lot more than, than your brain gives you credit for, but it's just yeah. a, a self-protection mechanism. Yeah. And I, I can give just a really a- anecdotal version of that, which is it, on Sunday, like as you come up to the, to the main event, if you like, you have to go on these longer and longer rides. And on Sunday I had to do five hours and it was five hours on my own, you know, 120 kilometers or whatever. And an hour and a half in, it was freezing cold. And I was just like, I can't do this. Just cannot do this. I do not want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. This was a stupid idea in the first place. Um, just go home, Simon. My wife and children were at like a party. I thought you could go home. You could order a pizza in. You could sit in front of the fire and stick some telly on. Um, and, I, and I was fighting. Just everything in my head was just telling me to give up. And I got through that kind of 15 minutes of, that's all it was, 15 minutes of real kind of uh, mind sort of uh, bending stuff. And once I got through that 15, the next three hours, I was totally fine. I was just like, actually, this isn't, this isn't too bad. But your mind is, it's just so clever. It's so powerful um, both ways you know it's so powerful at telling you to do something but it's also so powerful you, you once you know you can resist it and then you can you can push it you can push it further um and i think that's what's given given the gratitude side of things you know is is seeing that yeah i agree and it's, it's small things like you know if you have if you if you're experiencing mental illness currently or you know you don't know where to begin just start start with baby steps yeah because small things to someone else might seem like massive hurdles to you, even something like brushing your teeth or, you know, going for a five minute walk outside in the fresh air. These things may seem insurmountable, but, you know, don't compare yourself to other people. And and if you're making progress, more progress than yesterday, there was a, there was a really good quote I heard last week by Hemingway. And I can't remember what on earth it was, but it's perfect for this um for this podcast oh god but you know what it's so it's so true about the the walking thing and you know just just going you know particularly when i I started trying to to not drink um just going for a walk for 10 or you know when i had the urge or or whatever just going for a walk for 10 or 15 minutes you know i don't know what it is about walking i don't know what it is about particularly walking in a forest or, or, or just getting outside and getting the fresh air. But if you can do that for 10, 15 minutes, it, all of a sudden you're, I don't know if it's something to do with how the blood flows in your body. I've got no idea what the science or mechanics of it are, but it just seems to change your perspective from when you're sitting in and you might be on your phone or, you know, it, it can just, or you're sitting with your thoughts and, and, and you're really struggling, just going out for 10, 15 minute walk, if you if you can just I don't know what it is it just seems to kind of get a certain part of the brain flowing that's more positive that has a more positive outlook um, yeah I mean 
I always talk when I'm talking to students and to teams, I talk about how we are just animals at the end of the day. And our original design, if you like, was to roam, to hunt, to sleep, you know, and, and I couldn't tell you if cavemen were happy or cavewomen were happy. Like who, who knows? But what I do know is that when we see technology increase and we see our world get more and more complicated, we're seeing a rising epidemic of mental health issues. So obviously what we're doing currently isn't working. Perhaps it is time to get back to basics a little bit more and things like walking does work. I've just just found that Hemingway quote as well. It says, there's no, nothing noble in being superior to your fellow men. True nobility lies in being superior to your former self. I love that. Absolutely yeah. love that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it is if you, you know, just have a competition with yourself rather than anyone else. And I can tell you, you know, firsthand um, that I certainly was uh, at 21 stone, the, slow, the slowest man in there, but um, in that in that boxing gym. But you know what? That's That was the other nice thing is just people have been so supportive. People have just been you know, just amazing towards me. And I, I, you know, I've got so many people that I just love to, you know, um, uh, when I get to get to the end, but even not, you know, to, to thank and just because whether it's my wife encouraging me, you know, family, friends, I had a, a good mate reach out to me, a good school friend reach out to me on Sunday and he, he texted me and he said, oh, I've been following your progress and all of that. And I've just run a half marathon, so I'm hoping to join you on the day. And thanks for inspiring me. And, and you know, that's really nice because it doesn't just, it makes me feel, oh, wow, I've inspired someone. That's that's brilliant. That's a really nice feeling to inspire someone. But then him actually sending that to me, like, was like, oh, that's really inspired me. And, you know, that's made me want to carry on and, you know, um, kind of share the journey a bit. Um, just to show people that you know it is it is you're, you're definitely capable of if things just don't feel quite right at the moment or you're a bit stuck or you know you're having a really hard few months or whatever you know stick in there talk to people you can you can turn it around um you know don't don't give up it's amazing what a great point to end on as well simon i yeah i, yeah, I don't think we can top that really <laughs> That's, that's the positive reinforcement that we needed on an early earlier during the week i think yeah. and yeah you know, and so when, when is your iron man what what date is it uh friday the 25th of march and um the reason for it being on that day is that will be 25 years to the day that my mum died so she died of um she died of breast cancer um when i was 15 and i i suppose i wanted to do it on that day just to show her that actually despite some bumps in the road, things have, have turned out all right. And it's a bit of a celebration of her life. And, and um, so, yeah, and I'm raising uh, money for a, for a charity called Elaborate. Um, and they help uh, homeless veterans and veterans who are struggling with, with mental health issues. Um, so, um, you know, it feels, it feels like a really worthwhile cause. We've, got five five grand in the in the bank already so hopefully that will that will build towards the towards the big day that's amazing and if people wanted to donate to this of course if they're hearing this before it go before you run where could they go 
Um, so it's on uh, Just Giving, um, and it's um, uh, forward slash Martin Maguire Memorial Ironman uh, is the is the link. And definitely, if they want to um, follow me on Instagram, it's a um, I've got my own Instagram, but I've got one just for this, which is uh, my wife tells me off because it's too cheesy, but at Iron Mag M A G. 2022 nice thank you yeah. we'll put a, put a link in the description of the podcast as well so that people can go and check it out great thanks chris and thanks for having me today really enjoyed no. it thank you it's been a pleasure meeting you and thank you for sharing sharing everything sharing your life it's um yeah i hope it helps other people definitely definitely cheers dude cheers. thanks again for listening to another episode of the burnt chef journal If you haven't yet checked out the Burnt Chef Project website, then please head over to www.theburntchefproject.com. You'll find a whole host of resources, free access to our training app, as well as free support services, blog posts, our merchandise store, and also our ambassadors who are there to support you when you need it. Thanks again for joining us this week, and I'll see you again soon.